0: The following audio may contain coarse language and other material that may not be suitable for a younger audience. Viewer discretion is advised. Also, we may spoil anything and everything, so you have been warned.
1: I'm Ben Hollis.
2: I'm Sarah Becker.
0: I'm Trevor Flynn, and I'm Jack Newman, and welcome to the 200th episode of the Movie Gang Podcast. Four years ago, back in the way back of 2016, we started this podcast as a way to get a gang of friends together. Over the years, it has grown and expanded to include a series of podcast experiments and successes that have allowed us to stay together through the trials of our 20s and even a pandemic. I feel personally blessed to have a group of friends this supportive of me, and I know genuinely that my life is more profound and rich for having such a group be part of it. Which, in essence, is what this podcast offers to the viewer. A group of friends that can extend a small part of our friendship to you. That and my clacking keyboard, which, according to one iTunes reviewer, is a super (laughs) unprofessional and I need to commit suicide by beating myself to death with said keyboard. I genuinely look forward to the next four years, guys, as more of us advance in our lives and experiences, changes, trials and opportunities to grow as we have done here. In this spirit, the gang has decided to indulge me today for our 200th episode by reviewing one of my favorite movies of all time, a film that is often used as a measuring stick for other content on this podcast, the 1985 Robert Zemeckis seminal classic Back to the Future, starring Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd I am kind of gonna geek out here guys this is like this is this is like the biggest this is like the biggest film for actually I literally like made the joke about the clicking thing and I'm literally clicking my headphones next to the microphone so (laughs) I'm just too much of a nervous person go ahead go ahead i was just saying is that what that is i didn't know yeah it's okay but apparently my keyboard i am going to try to fix the keyboard thing because there was two negative reviews on our itunes page reference are the you keyboard.
3: now after after 200 episodes because yeah. it's kind of a feature at this point I it don't is
0: know. it is like i feel like there's a lot of mechanical keyboard aficionados that continue to listen because they just listen for my keyboard that's all they're listening for <laughs> <Mechanical> <laughs> keyboard i will tell ASMR. you every
3: yeah oh yeah no. listen to this <laughs> i know jack I, yeah that's the thing every time Megan listens to an episode she'll be like you should get Jack like a quiet keyboard as like a joke <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like you don't understand he loves the clickety clack like he specifically brought out when I was visiting him one time like his sample keys that they sent him when he was ordering a keyboard and he's like listen to the sounds look how this one sounds look how this one sounds I
0: did I had like the Cherry MX switchboard so I would like click on the different things and I would show it to Trevor and he was like he just like had this look at me like you're a fucking crazy person <laughs> Like, love, that was like okay. a really good moment for me. Like, no offense, Trevor. Like, I love you very much, but you did have a look like, holy shit, this is crazy. <laughs>
3: is this a kind of like in Devil Wears? It, it is like in Devil Wears Prado when Emma, uh, uh, Amanda, whatever her name is, is looking at Meryl Streep, like, those two colors of blue are, that's the same blue, right? You're kidding me, right? There's yeah. there's a difference. I, I don't
0: see it. I like reached into his personal space to hold the clicker up to his ear and be like, do you hear the difference between <laughs> these two clicks? <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, we're going to talk, again, we're going to talk about Back to the Future today, which, uh, it's hard to bring up a summary for this, but I got one ready to roll, so here we go. Back to the Future, 1985 sci-fi comedy classic, an hour and 56 minutes, runtime, and th- uh, in this 1980 sci-fi classic, small-town California teen Marty McFly, Michael J. Fox, is thrown back into the 50s with an experiment by his eccentric scientist friend, Doc Brown, Christopher Lloyd. Uh, well, okay, when friend goes with Traveling through time in a modified DeLorean car, Marty encounters young versions of his parents, Crispin Glover and Leah Thompson, and must uh, make sure that they fall in love or he'll cease to exist. Even more da- uh, dauntingly, Marty has to return to his own time and save his li- save the life of Doc Brown, who gets involved with I, I forget what what was the nationality of the terrorist Libyan. Uh, Libyan Libyan terrorist Yeah, Libyan terrorist Yeah, that wasn't worth a mic bloke. It was, but it's it's also also one of my favorite background jokes. So the, one of the things too. All okay. right. My favorite thing about this movie, and I'll just preface this: this is probably one of my. This is one of my. Yeah, favorite I was about to say. I feel
3: like you get you have a lot of favorite things about. this There's a, movie. there's a lot of
0: things to break down about this movie, and I think one of the things that I always bring back to it is that it is this was a this was a Oscar nominated script, and in my opinion, it it, it is like. Maybe even if this isn't the best movie of all time, it may be one of the best scripts of all time, in my opinion. And also like it's, it's, it's just the tightness of the script and how it all folds together perfectly. And also how the production even folds together perfectly. And it creates this perfect concentric universe of a town that is just the two versions of the town that you get to see. And it, it, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, even now the movie even has more value as we go back and look at it. Cause it's also a time capsule of the 1980s as well as now a time capsule of the time 1950s and also it's how the, the 30 90- year cycle
3: yeah, we're like yeah. another 30 years ahead of 85 looking at how far ahead 85 thought it was of the 50s and being right, like right now right, we right. Yeah, and also,
0: yeah and also it just has this i think one of the other underlying things that happens is that 1985 is definitely deep in the reagan era and also the reagan era is kind of veneration of the 1950s so this particular movie has like this whole cultural subtext going on and that's just back to the future very 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 simple plot so much more happening
3: as well just in the background of this movie just subtly I'm very glad centrally. you're cool with like talking about all of the secondary like social issues and stuff because I think it's fascinating I love this movie and right. I'm going to rate it highly I just want to say that right out the bat no, no, but I you're think- already you're already like concerned to rate this one poorly like you won't do Blade <laughs> Runner over again with me which I don't care <laughs> I promise I'm
0: like I'm an evolved person that isn't is gonna get like furious if you rate it like as low as Blade Runner again <laughs> I don't care I promise i, I I'm a bigger person now, Trevor. <laughs> I'm 30. I have to be old now. <laughs> I'm going to clutch some tea and I'm going to be okay. And I'm just going to sip at it at you instead of yelling at you.
3: Well, we, uh, yeah, if, uh, we're. We're we're three films into Bond and that's held up so far. So yeah, it's good. It, well, I I believe it. I, I,
0: I was shockingly not into Goldfinger when we're on a return. So uh yeah, but this one I think this is the thing about this movie is that um this is a movie that keeps on giving back and is also gives back into rewatches and has a lot of secondary subtle context clues going on. One of the one of the things too that also generally like there's always a new thing in this movie that blows my mind. Like like I think one of the times this around is like I realize this there's this whole joke about Marty dad not drinking and then at the prom one of like Biff's friends spikes the punch and Marty's dad drinks the punch which is also the secondary subtext that this was the first night that Marty's dad ever got drunk at the prom and thus was more brave for some reason that also fills into this thing it's just there's so many secondary back like and that's not the whole core plot of it but it's still there (laughs) and that's the thing there's no there's no extraneous movements in this movie and I think that's the beauty of it It's, it's like it's an economy of motion pictures making that's there's like no movement in this that isn't built towards the singular tight goal of getting marty to the end of this premise but before i talk and talk and i think i probably will end up talking too much in the part in the course of this podcast because i love this movie so much i do want to talk to a couple people about their experiences with back in the future and what they think and so first off here i'm going to toss it to sarah
2: well, we have very, very ex- different experiences with this movie. I love it. I absolutely love it. And I'm going to rate it very highly. That's not what I mean. Everybody but- needs
0: to stop telling me. That. <laughs> <laughs> I'm but, OK, um, I promise.
2: <laughs> no, but I, I, I did genuinely love it, but it was almost like watching it for the first time. I know I have seen it before, but only one time. And I think it must have been about. 15 years ago 10 years at least since i have seen this movie so i didn't remember that libyan nationalists shot uh the doctor i didn't remember like i knew that you know marty had to get his parents together and that he almost had a weird romantic thing with his mom but i didn't remember how he resolved all of that i didn't remember him playing the rock concert at the prom so it was really cool to watch this movie almost for the first time when i know that it is so highly regarded by most of my peers
1: i'm surprised you forgot that martin mcfly invented rock and roll (laughs) yeah
2: i did
0: i did forget that it was cool
2: and you know with you know, this is your cousin Marvin Barry, Chuck. You know that sound you were looking for. Listen to this. This yeah.
0: this movie excels oh, great. at dumb God. circular logic that, in retrospect, makes no sense. That we've all I don't just care. We've all. all it. It's one of those things too. Avengers made a great point in suggesting that we've all just accepted that Back to the Future is how time travel works, and it makes no sense actually when you really think about it. They've just made such a good movie that we accepted their janky ass time travel principles as fact, which. It's called
2: it suspension of disbelief. <laughs> right. And that's,
0: and that's the aggressive power of this movie. But let me throw it to Ben here, too. Sorry.
1: Well, I think what works so good about this movie is uh it does something which is smart about time travel, which is that time travel is secondary to the entire point of the movie, which is the entire point of the movie is thinking. uh Banging you know, your mom. What, what? yeah. Banging your mom. <laughs> that's what it is. No, it, it, but in a way it is thinking that your mom was once a sexual being, you know, and is probably still a sexual being. And that your dad. <laughs> right was once someone different than the person you know that like they were kids too once and what could it be like if you as a teenager could see your parents as teenagers and how much different would you treat them and how much different would they treat you in that sense like what would be the differences when that power dynamic of being older and being your parents was gone and you were just you know seemingly another high school kid um obviously because of that you get you know long-running endless comedic jokes about like wouldn't you know Marty's dad no I think it's a little strange that he had a son that looked exactly like the guy who was friends with his wife <laughs> you know 35 years ago yeah whatever um, so like that's all kind of secondary to what I think these a very good core theme and I, I've joked before that this is kind of uh, a movie that comes from uh, another universe where it's like an average movie. This is what <laughs> in a perfect world, you know, your, your classic <laughs> run-of-the-mill summer blockbuster would be. But uh, but actually to make a movie this functional and smart and just simple and constructed well is really hard. And we have just so many mediocre, truly mediocre films to prove it uh, because so much of it is sloppy and, 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 and nonsensical and doesn't work. And this one was sloppy in some respects, but what it does really well is, is just have that form of momentum and have maybe the single greatest set piece in like Hollywood blockbuster history. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's up there with the Star. Wars, yeah. you know, The get it catching the lightning is up there with like the Star Wars trench run in that. Like every shot, every yeah. edit is the just Delorean. Like, you couldn't edit or shoot that scene any better. You know, like it is. Yeah yeah perfect and so there there's that perfection in the movie even though i don't probably won't give it a completely perfect score uh it is it is a film that has perfect elements if that makes sense
0: but, but, but Ben, the guy that says too darn loud is actually the school administrator is actually Huey Lewis, who they listen to and does back in time at the beginning <laughs> of the movie. Did you not know that? Because this yeah, movie is wall that. to wall shit. <laughs> like that's the, not like it's wall. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I It's one of those things where I, I totally accept your premise and I understand it. I think I tend to see it as perfect because of like. Uh, I I don't know. I, I think I see it as perfect because whether or not it always has a point or maybe delivers the point properly. One of the things is that it always has a purpose. Like there's nothing happens in this movie without a purpose towards driving everything forward or, and that's, and I think that's the thing is too, I think when I watch this movie, I'm just sort of like, my mind is like bonkered by just like the sheer level of like, script in drive towards the goal which at times is kind of bullshitty like it's bullshitty that like the lady hands him the flyer he needs to get back in time like later on
3: in the movie that's oh, kind no, of a- that's fine that's 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 one of my favorite points of the of the screenwriting is like I don't care about how uh, contrived that is because that's the power of love baby like I mean she like <laughs> cock blocks them while they're kissing and that's the reason he has the flyer and the reason he keeps the flyer is that it has his girlfriend's phone number on it so it right. all works yes. thematically that, that's, for and, me. And that, fine. that's
0: that's back to the future period is that even the contrivances have to have like like they don't ever they don't they can't robert zemeckis has no chill about getting people from scene to scene he has to have multiple reasons as to why characters do shit which is why i actually do genuinely like it sometimes like he does he has to he like it has to have his girlfriend's number he doesn't just get a flyer and that's and that's like i think that's the construction of it sometimes it is like a little bit like you know situational and but the point is is that you can cover up all the situational stuff by just the nature of a time travel movie (laughs) and that's and then everything feels (laughs) fine that's an I think that's you know, but at the same time, I guess he gets away with murder and to some extent, but that. But at the same time, it like works in the context of this specific movie. Um, there's other situational things that don't make as much sense, uh, and I think that you know. Some of this filmmaking is seen in like other stuff like Contact, which he he did later, where it's like, you know, there's situational stuff in that where I'm like, whoa, that's just a deus ex maca, Robert.
3: Like, we need to talk about this. But isn't that the point? Because it's about God. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. (laughs) Um, Robert DeBegas is
0: is a director who I love maybe three of his movies, like uh, like more than anything. (laughs) We can't Uh, review Contact
2: because I would I, I can't. Talk about that movie objectively.
0: <laughs> I <laughs> want to know why, but let me go
1: ahead and toss it a to pen.
0: I want to be
2: just because I love it so much.
1: Oh, you do? Okay. Well, we yeah. got to circle back to that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Ben, when it hit certain people, it hit certain people really, really hard. I get it. Um, yeah, this makes it makes this interesting, and I'm excited because the podcast Alex is going to do his whole oeuvre, and, I, and there's a great video by uh, Patrick willems that also uh, did his whole overview as well, which I recommend. He's a strange director, and he's. Definitely an interesting one and, and particular that he kind of revolutionized special effects over and over again. Um, but then almost kinda got buried by them towards the end of his career. Uh, and something that is
3: well, just Ben, nice his career's not over.
0: He's making he's making the live action Pinocchio this year, didn't you know? He may oh, welcome
3: I'm, tomorrow and his career's not. Yeah, not a great we, place. We, we we may want it to be over, but
0: it's not. Oh, I know it's never gonna be
1: over. I mean the dude did, you know back to the future you can just keep making failures forever <laughs> after you do that i think yeah he's, you can he's make getting, failures yeah. <laughs> until he's like 85 you know he's just got a, 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 a pass forever um yeah so uh, but i think um what is what it is nice about this and i do uh, miss so much about this kind of um the 80s was entry time in particular for hollywood because it was sort of the the death knell of the 70s and the you know, the auteur-driven, you know, highfalutin, you know, Kramer vs. Kramer is the number one movie of the year. Uh, you know, it's it's challenging art films. And then the 80s became the blockbuster era. But now that we live in, like, the the, the end of that and, and you see just how messy so many of these blockbusters end up being, it's like we didn't know how good we had it in a lot of ways in the 80s in that, like, films that are very incredibly well-constructed like this and E.T., We're, like, making insane amounts of money and we're the huge mill. Like, these are very well constructed. And, like, uh, my comparison right now is uh, actually the video game Persona 5, which I've been playing a lot of because quarantine, baby. If you want to play a 100-hour goddamn JRPG, now's the time. So um, I'm going through it. And uh, my big only complaint about the game is that, like, Boy, it lays it on thick. It's like it's so obvious where the plot is going to go every single time if you've seen any kind of narrative or no narrative at least a little bit. And like, you're like okay, well that person can betray that person. Okay, this is going to be this. Oh, this is good. That just going to be. And I know it. And then they'll just keep repeating it and like, you know, like threatening it for like weeks on end in the game storyline. And I'm like, stop. <laughs> and just to see a, a really well constructed uh, narrative, which is so refreshing because it is uh as as trevor says every little payoff has a nice sort of meaning to it um it's something that I, I first kind of became aware of of how how to properly do payoffs when i watched a review of titanic and they made a good point about how like you know the best kind of payoffs like trevor's saying is like ones that do two things you know it's like okay he's talking about the because you kind of like it's a little bit of a magic trick. You're 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 distracting them with you know the girl's phone number, but the point is the time and the date and the lightning strike. You know, it seems like background world building filler, but it becomes obviously a keyly important to the end of the movie. And just that little way of thinking it all out, going, okay, it'd be cool to have a lightning strike uh, be the final thing, but lightning is so random. How would you ever know? Well, what if it hit a clock tower and then it stopped? exactly on the time it did so everyone knew the exact time and exact date and the exact place of where lightning strike hit and it doesn't ever feel like oh that's kind of convenient (laughs) you know it's like genuine and it is convenient it is narratively convenient that it just so happens to be right before uh like the end of the prom and right when it happens you know but it's it works because you have a deadline you have a time when it's all gonna be over you have a, a whole set piece where it's like, okay, if we fuck this up, you know, the, you're screwed completely. Like it, it is very, uh, the payoffs in particular is what I literally do really the most
3: ticking. Yeah. Sorry. Well, it's, that, it's literally, it, sorry. I just have to say it's literally a ticking clock.
0: Yeah.
2: And, exactly. and that's it's the most, it's the most literal
3: ticking
0: clock. And, and one of the things, and I think that's the thing, I think, I think it's a combination of a good script, but also like a it, it, it is one of the few films that I am comfortable saying is both heavy handed and subtle as shit at the same time and i'd say that subtlety is barrett i i, I let, let me let me finish before you tell me you no. can see
3: the, the face i it did goes. i know i <laughs> i can see
0: i can see a trevor face from a mile away i know i like he doesn't even have to talk to me anymore anyways uh i could i, he, I didn't even need the video i just hear that sound <laughs> i know what's gonna <laughs> go I'm sorry i love you so much uh it's a good thing anyways but the point i'm saying is that like the subtlety in the film for me is like the fact that like in the opening sequence all the f- clocks in his like room and study is like you just have all these ticking clocks and all these clocks and it it highlights the importance of time and also they're all perfectly synced and so it shows the focus like like a lot of this movie is like visual sleight of hand as well to showing the importance of stuff like also stuff like the fact that like you know at the end of the movie you see like where doc brown you can actually see in the distance when he's talking to when marty's talking to his girlfriend you can actually see the clock tower and you can see the new place where Doc Brown's foot slipped and knocked off a chunk of the, the thing off the top like right. this movie yeah. has an internal consistency that is literally borders on insanity because actually in that final scene where Marty comes out to that square where you see the iconic you know what's well also it's also the pretty little liar square and also the star hollow square <laughs> like that town is also like that's where they fill Gilmore Girls is where they fill everything so it's oh, you know yeah. it is it is what it is it's the perfect you know you know I, it's the perfect northeast square, so it's whatever. But the, it's also like they have like the, you know they have places where the crash happened. They have these little subtle nods to everything and everything that changed. And it's just I think that internal consistency is background, but it's also. I think subconsciously noticeable to the point to drive home the point that there is a clock and there was an effect without actually having to say it to the audience. And I think that's the thing. I think this movie maybe unintentionally has a lot of subtlety, which I do say unintentionally at times, because really he just wanted to get all the time travel elements, like the lone pine versus the two twin pine, which is always every time I see lone pine, when he comes back, I'm just like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. This is, this is, (laughs) that's always the moment in the movie where I'm like, this is classic. This is perfect. Fuck off. (laughs) Everybody's (laughs) this movie's great (laughs) this is just one pine which of course they're gonna call it lone pine mall which inherently
3: is stupid but i don't care (laughs) you know go ahead trevor um I, i have a lot to go ahead with i've been thinking about this a lot because you have for some time built it up as like a perfect screenplay and uh you know I've ne- I've I've caught this this is one of those films uh, like we were saying on our bond podcast that's very watchable and every time that it's on TV this is one of those that you know I end up sitting through so I've seen this many many times and never thought about it this analytically before and knowing that it is like primor- primarily a fun like Ben was saying just really essentially well-written constructed blockbuster kind of film um, I, I think I, I really want to talk about like the changing like sexual norms because that's like a big part of the movie and like how we measure time almost. And like society is like what our parents norms were versus what ours are. And like it's one, one of my favorite changes between like the old future and the new future is that like Lorraine is kind of a cool character in that. Before Marty leaves, she's being, like, really um, conservative about, like, I never sat in the back of a parked car. Like, you can't go to the lake with your girlfriend. I'm not cool with that kind of thing. And, like, by the end of the film, she's, like, really sex positive because Marty has, like, taken the place of her father in, like, the very passive romance that just literally landed in her lap to being something she had to change her conception of herself as a woman in the 50s to, like, Take it upon herself to pursue actively what she sexually desired and that like changes her whole character sort yeah. of. So like I think He saved th- that- his
2: parents' marriage. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. She's well, an active that's the participant. Other thing is, like they're well, yeah. both they're both it's the same marriage they still have each other they're just both now active participants in the marriage and they're having self-actualizing and they're having
3: better sex. well I, that's they're they're obviously ugh. having better sex i really um,
0: just wanted to say yeah.
3: self-actualizing but i'm sure sex comes from that as Come well <laughs> um well and, and here's the other thing at the same time that is true and i i don't mean this as a dig on the movie i i I think it's fascinating. I mean, it is a criticism. The foundation of the McFly marriage goes from like a passive happenstance of George being a creeper in a tree to George saving Lorraine from being raped and um, or sexually assaulted at the very least. And, like the whole George standing up for himself, becoming a man thing, is synonymous with Lorraine being a victim and him having to physically assault other men in order to save her, and that that is a very conservative notion of masculinity, a very like conservative like notion of gender dynamics that makes the plot work, and I don't want to overanalyze too much as a social issue in this because I know that it's just just really making the plot work and that Lorraine is kind of a cool character at the same time. She also changes and has agency. Well, so I don't mean that in bad faith, but I think it is fascinating because I think part of the reason it works and part of the reason I haven't thought about it too much up till now, besides where we are now in terms of 2020 versus the 80s, is that the film being set in the 50s is kind of the 80s looking back at that even though this is a screenplay that is written in the 80s and still kind of, you know, is probably thinks it's more progressive than it is now to us. 30 years later is kind of passing judgment on the 50s in a way that I really appreciate because you have this idyllic 50s town square a la Disney World. Yeah. Where there's this underbelly of racism, bullying and rape culture. Which is actually a fairly dark tonal element in the movie where like Biff is because of how big he is can just I mean, literally his name is like Buff with a changed letter. Right. Can walk into a 50s diner like it is a saloon in the West, in, in the Old West, which. I'm sure if they do again in part three when they actually go to the Old West, they probably do the same scene. They literally do. Where everybody, where <laughs> he is so powerful as like the outlaw who does not give a fuck and is the most powerful person because he has the quickest draw or the big fastest punch or whatever. The whole diner goes silent while he just eviscerates whoever he feels like because he has that much power. And it's kind of a like the 80s passing judgment on the 50s at the same time as giving us this like nostalgia is saying like, Yeah, like, things weren't great back then. Like, people like this were, like, running amok. But at the same time that it does that, it also implies that the only way for, like, you know, Lorraine to be safe as a woman is for a man to beat up another man to take care of her. All right. So. One thing I just want to say real quick. One
1: thing that's also interesting is that it, you know, says that, you know, a bully like that who gets his way his entire life becomes a powerful narcissist, you know, which I think is very right. interesting. And just literally part two happens. <laughs> yeah. And, no, for, yeah. Sure. for sure. And they, they <laughs> like, have been it's, open that the whole point was he was being Trump. And like it is very interesting that like it just takes, you know, a, a, a quote unquote nerd to beat him up to prove that like his power was meaningless essentially. And then his flaws and his inability to be anything besides a worker is all he can kind of become essentially like he, cause he has no skills it, outside of beating people. And I,
0: and I'd also brain over brawn. I'd also, I, I, again, I extend, I think that you're right, that the narrative doesn't always work around that context. But one of the things that I think is very important is at the end of the movie, his dad, Marty's dad comes back and shows the book he's written. So, Indicating yeah, to the, the audience that he's yeah. true to the person that he is. He yes. isn't like this masculinity archetype. He is a person and but he's, he's still extending himself. out that person. Yes. He's just comfortable to take charge of his own destiny. And by extension, I think the other thing, too, that maybe here as well is that like the sexuality of Lorraine is like a whole nother thing that we can talk about. But I don't necessarily I, I think there's a dark version of this that I don't necessarily think this movie wants you to contemplate. But I do think bears out thinking about and actually does work in the context of it. Whereas it is in what version of this film where they just ended up to them tactfully together did Biff... You know, I mm. what are you saying? I, What's the- what version of this film did Biff not sexually assault Ar- like Lorraine before Marty goes back in time?
3: You're saying if he hadn't gone back in time, she would have been assaulted by Biff because... George wouldn't I mean
2: why not Biff has at before Marty goes back in time he has total control of George's life yeah Um, Lorraine is an alcoholic he he orders Lorraine around all the things
0: I think there's contextual elements to suggest that Lorraine was sexually assaulted by Biff at some point in this movie and that's why she is the way it is which is not a great point
3: well she is still and that's the other thing is in the future that they have Biff has still been in the new future future prime if you will been like the terror of their young adult lives and assaulted both of them and part of the reason this movie works and you don't think about it too much despite again like the very dark places it goes to in tone is that it is so cartoonish in its logic that Biff is so thoroughly metaphorically castrated that he is like a bumbling servant that is despite being a former assaulter of both of them they're comfortable with him, like getting their mail and coming into their house. <laughs> and, so, right. and he's just like well, which, completely emasculated and like this bumbling. Which kind
0: it's, of, not, you know. it's not, it's uh, not the point isn't, I guess. And here's my thing is like, the point isn't to like, look at Biff as a character. Biff is a fucking device. And he's one of the few people yeah. who, and, a vi- and like he. the villain in this movie is completely and totally a device for the extenuation of the plot. And the point is less that there are like, it's the point is that like, The point is that like George bullies him back and has like self-control of stuff. And Lorraine also is like I I think like both of them and like just the self-control and act like Marty entering their lives causes them to both be active participants in their lives. And that's the whole point. Uh, But also it's also like I think one of the other things, too, is that this movie actually doesn't have great things to say about the 1980s as well. I think that there is a certain amount of, like, you know, where they're kind of around the dinner table. It's kind of taking a taking kind of the piss out of, like, the early family that we see is like the Reagan era family pining for a different time in history in the 1950s. And also kind of like it's like literally
3: before the TV comes to the table and everybody stops talking to each other.
0: Exactly. Like the whole point is this movie doesn't have anything good to say about the 1980s either. Or it's or it's like. Like Reagan era fetishization of the 1950s, because we go back to the 1950s, realize it's bad, come back to the 1980s, and the family, the core family has changed (laughs) just to be self active. Yeah. And not fetishistic yeah. and the of thing, the past.
1: Well, and that's the only thing that I find very annoying about the ending, which is that he shouldn't get a big car. That is like very Reagan era achievement. Like I got it a is. material it, giant object and it's like that really wasn't the point. And I find that always just a little gross, but it's not. a. Big and, and, deal, and it actually, it's, it's like, one of those things too.
0: Yeah, R- Zemeckis seems to be very anti-Reagan in a lot of his stuff. I mean, oh, my favorite joke
3: is like, Ronald Reagan, the actor? <laughs> and right, and, right, right, right. and then yeah. And then it comes back to Doc Brown actually being smart and saying, oh, you have portable video? Of course he's an, the president is an actor. He has to look good on television, which is just like you know, even more true now than it was in the 80s. So well, I, I, see, appreciate
0: it. I, I honestly am very thankful that, like, Robert Zemeckis didn't actually have a heart attack when Trump got elected president, because <laughs> of everyone that knows how evil he is, like, it clearly is Robert Zemeckis. Like, Robert Zemeckis just, like, knew, he's like, this is some bad shit, and Reagan was bad enough. <laughs> like, that's, well, like, I, I, I appreciate. always had
1: a very odd, and I think, you know, the comparison is definitely Forrest oh. Gump, obviously, his other biggest hit, his his most acclaimed film, at least at the time, though certainly he's got a lot of blowback yeah. since then. And it's a film that is very odd to me because it's been read in so many ways and, you know, notoriously has like, you know, a, a, a liberal woman get like fucked over a lot and
3: die of aids it's like what are you saying but it's also like very and also there's the representation of the black panthers this is just scary Yeah, there's like a lot <laughs> of like satirical
1: elements though too with the whole thing and it's just it's very unclear a lot of times what his kind of angle is and what he's kind of going for at times with this i think it's a little more clear here but he's certainly someone that you just can't quite pin down as easily as say a clint eastwood or a Know, he, he takes a layman's
0: view of history and I think that's more borne out in like his recent works like welcome to Marwin like he takes a layman's vision of like simplicity to history and also just like a confusion element like he feels conf- personally confused by the nature and course of history and often his protagonists reflect that confusion uh, Forrest Gump famously like is probably like methodically done that but I think there's other conf- there's other protagonists like like Marty Mcfly is not in control of this situation and that's and that's like a whole key point things work out for marty and that's a great thing because you know truth and justice and that's a great thing but like he is by no stretch in control of everything that happens and and actually the camera takes a lot of glee in showing us all the shit that happens off camera that just works out in just the right way to make elements continue on and work for him which is, I think, uh, kind of a key element of Zemeckis' filmology. It's like a lot of times characters in his stuff are not in control of the situation. Forrest Gump most famously, but also to some extent contact. And also cast like yeah.
3: castaway, definitely. Cool, castaway. Jesus. Well, I'm, well, I'm not sure what you mean like in terms of this movie, like in terms of just fate. Like, well, I, I can think of an example maybe. But I was thinking of earlier really whenever Ben was talking about how contrived like the point of time at which the lightning strike happens. I was thinking that during this rewatch of being like, you know, is it 10 Oh four exactly? Is it 10 Oh four in like 20 seconds? Cause that's like a big difference for a car going 88 miles an hour. And then the car jams because they didn't fix the starter or whatever. And it's like, that was the whole, like the car had to jam or it wouldn't have gotten there in time. Like that's part of the satisfaction of everything coming together. Like is that wire, kind of what you mean? Yeah.
1: The wire wasn't connected all the way. And yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah, like he literally it literally
1: jumps hits through and adjusts when he gets the wire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly.
0: Yeah, it's and a it's a doesn't it's a, kill him. Yeah. It's a real I mean, yeah, I guess you could know exactly because like the clock stopped at the exact time. But again, you're not really designed to question the clock that. doesn't have a second hand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it has got mechanics. I don't know. Maybe they looked yeah. in there and they were really specific in the newspaper article. The historian
3: The historians of Hill <laughs> in Valley the are 50s, yeah. I don't
2: think so. Yeah. That's the historians
3: fair. of Hill Very of Hill Valley are apparently very passionate people. Look,
0: but, I, um, I, I I yeah, the, that lady is like that that lady i've never even seen a Greenpeace person like like cultivate like <laughs> stuff that hard it's that lady coming on she's like i really want this fucking clock to work guys it's gonna change my life like <laughs> that lady is like really selling it at the start like she's like like I, I i have like seen street preachers with less fire than that lady for that fucking clock like that's it's it's pretty intense anyway, it's a fact it's one of those facts it's like you see those things you're like she really loves that fucking clock man <laughs> like
2: (laughs) I'm curious, does she have a a younger self uh, shown in the 1950s?
0: Oh, version. my God. I don't know if she does. But what I will say is that there's a lot of great references in this movie to like younger people versus older people. Like, you know, obviously there's the mayor who's like working the soda shop. Yeah. And then he runs later. But there's also actually the mayor running for reelection at the time during the thing. And the fact that he's a bum that sees Marty come back later when he comes back in the DeLorean on the street and crashes into the, the church. He's actually red, which is actually funny enough. It was actually like because he was he was the set the guy that plays the bum is a set designer so he was also his image was actually used for the thing so it's never been actually confirmed by zemeckis is not that the mayor actually just became a bum later
1: but it's fan theory that it's actually what
0: happened no i
2: like it and it's also like, it like accept it. his name and it's his nice his name
1: to know, is know that there's like messing with history that there's negatives <laughs> there should be a couple things yeah. that go worse for people Right, right, exactly.
0: It's also like, it's also his name was Red because Marty said Red as he was like there because he just totally like did the line. So there's this whole universe. There's like fan fiction written about Red on the bench, the mayor, and why he failed Hill Valley. And it's one of those things where it's like... That move, this movie specifically is just like if there ever was a movie that needed fan fiction, like back to the future is it because there's so much secondary shit that is so plotted out happening in the background of this movie that
3: I, I really do appreciate how it happens. Um. One of the other things we haven't really talked about in this movie are the performances of the actors. I just want to, you know, say now that I've done my whole, um, you know, way over an- analyzing the social aspects of this, the uh, just. Talk about some of the reasons I do watch this every time it's on TV. Christopher Lloyd's face. Um, hey, how you doing? I'm Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I haven't seen that many Christopher Lloyd performances, so I don't know if this is just what he's known for, probably. But, like, man, what we call mugging and acting, where you just make facial expressions as just big as they possibly can be. Is I'm off Nick the Cage
0: before <laughs> Nick Cage was a thing.
3: Yeah, it's off the fucking charts. Right. Yeah, it's,
0: it's it's great. Yeah. I mean, he was always and a big actor, much but like, this
1: was definitely like his Pacino and Heat, like where he just went all, all <laughs> in, full the <laughs> yeah. Cage face off. Like, go for it. Go for it. There's no level. There's no bottom. Because if you watch him in something like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, he's like extremely restrained. It's very interesting to watch that movie and see like him and Danny DeVito, who both go on to like play fucking maniacs a lot in their career. And just, and are playing mentally insane people, but being very quiet about (laughs) it. It is very strange. You're like, oh, Danny DeVito and Christopher Lloyd are crazy people in a movie. They must be off the chart. You're like, no, no, they're just, they're just kind of quiet in the background. Oh, okay. (laughs) sort of interesting. But no, it's, 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 he's perfect casting. And it's, you know, we should probably talk about one of the most infamous and fascinating things about this movie that, uh part of why i think it is so such an interesting movie is it it feels so carefree and so perfect but everything about the production of it is not perfect it took i think there was Mm -mm. some crazy number of like 30 rewrites of the script like famously it was gonna be like yeah the 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 the, um delorean is gonna be powered by coke there's gonna be all kinds of weird the the trash thing at the end is like a little bit of like a reference to that stuff but the most infamous thing is that uh originally marty mcfly was played by eric Stoltz, and they uh shot six full weeks oh, yeah. with eric stoltz uh you can watch this footage it is fucking surreal because it's those scenes you've seen a million times but there's a completely different actor in it it looks like it's cgi but it's real and uh just in a very strange thing that you just don't do because you've spent probably millions of dollars making this movie at this point he got together with uh spielberg and some of the other producers and was like this just isn't working like he just is wrong for the role and they very quickly recast him with uh, uh, Michael J. Fox. And it's like his most iconic performance ever. And that's like one of these yeah. very strange
3: yeah. what-if yeah. Hollywood history things. Uh, definitely check out the video. I remember watching a video I, about that. I've, I've, it was I've, like the guy was just taking it way too seriously almost. Like the jokes yeah. just weren't landing. Yeah. And like that that yeah. plays into why I think this movie partly is so watchable despite, a again, very good writing in terms of how cyclical and how complete it is, I, I don't disagree with that, but it is like just cartoonish at a level and with Doc's, you know, facial expressions and the way that, yeah, uh, he plays, um, what's his name, plays Marty McFly, for sure. E- even yeah. with I a think good, I think the, th-
0: the amazing, let me let me just do, real quick, the, the I think the thing with this movie is that it is a Swiss clock and that like, it's not just that the script is very good, I do think the script is perfect to some extent, but like, I do think that like, There's so many elements here where it's like if you put in a different actor, you can immediately feel just everything is fucking wrong. And I think that's exactly what the performance of Michael J. Fox and how he breezily moves between scene to scene adds an element to this that keeps it light on its feet and also it's like the whole clock winds up through the first three like first two acts to then unload with like like this this movie actually by like modern action standards is like really 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 fast paced by like movies of the time and it's and i think that's something that bears thought is that like it was a fat it was an insanely fast paced movie for the 80s and i think that's i think that's the difference here is that like it the clock winds up burns all these things out and then the last act it's like just payoff after payoff after payoff after payoff and I think that's that's kind of how it like structurally works but I think a lot of that works especially in the first two acts with Michael J. Fox's just like personal charisma on screen and like when you see Mark Stoltz, you're like I understand exactly why they did it I, I, I don't blame him at all if he because he had the money it was a perfect decision because he just got the wrong fucking actor and it just does like you watch the scenes it's not even just because it's wrong because it's just Michael J. Fox it's because the actor is just fucking wrong for what it is. It's much more of a stone. Like he thinks he's the other thing too is he thinks he's like in a serious stoner comedy almost too. It's like it's like it's it's like uh, it's like almost like Bill and Ted a little bit too. And it's just like he's got like this Bill and Ted vibe. A serious stoner comedy. That's
3: interesting. <laughs> well,
0: yeah, I, mean. I agree with you about the seriousness, but at the same time, he just his, his hair is
3: all messed. I don't know. Up you've watched he, you've watched all the footage. I haven't. I, I don't well, have like a theory well, I think there or the anything.
1: I think in particular what Michael J. Fox does so well is just feel very modern for his era. He feels like an '80s teen. He doesn't feel overly written. Like even the like slang he uses, they kind of play with it enough that it works. Um, He isn't kind of like dropping weird stuff. He actually cares, which is good. Like he actually is invested in what's happening. He's not just kind of like a disaffected teen, and he's not a total cartoon character like Bill and Ted, which works for that movie. But those were like literally sketch actors that like, not actors, but characters, the writers of those movies did those characters in like Groundlings and stuff and then spun it onto a movie. And it feels like, you know, kind of a an SNL style Wayne's Worldish movie with a very heightened idea of stuff where like this, he feels like a grounded character, even if he is a bit heightened. He's never heightened to a degree that he feels like a cartoon and he never is sort of uh, uh, cringy <laughs> like he never falls into any kind of cringy teen territory, which is very tough and I think that is a tough balance I think Michael J. Fox just has enough of that inherent sort of whimsical charm and natural charisma that it's just like you needed someone you really really needed someone who just holds the screen and just breathes empathy tries like, to put just, on his
3: pants and uh, falls over because he's just overwhelmed with everything that's happening to him right <laughs> Um, another performance I love is when Crispin, Crispin Glover, uh, George McFly, is like in the old future, laughing at that joke on TV, and he just does this, mm-hmm. cri- this this like psycho laugh and like this like just almost reddish like pulsation of his like whole body is just like every time I watch that I'm like where did that come from? Because <laughs> this
2: TV show is the only joy in his life now. Yeah,
3: I get. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's that's what it says like it's yeah it does that for I, sure i i uh, famously
0: the other thing we need to mention is that chris ben glover got fucked by robert on the second yeah PS. and uh, he, he on got the second one they used his likeness screwed. without and, his permission right which is and not shit, not okay led to, led
1: to a uh, like film changing lawsuit <laughs> like literally it's yeah like one like, of the most yeah. famous film lawsuits because like now you know when you do sample like peter cushing in rogue one you have to get permission from the family and the estate and you have to pay them full royalties and like yeah they literally like use prosthetics to make a guy look exactly like him and it's like yeah if they just recast him with someone else i'm just like this is a new you know that's why they can get away with like iron man for example like don Cheadle. They don't make right. him look like Terrence Howard. <laughs> they just go. Right. Don Cheadle is now this character. Deal with it. You know right. that's allowed. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. which, which is totally right
0: because to you own the rights. It makes yeah. and that that's always made sense to me. And it's and and while audiences have never really like particularly loved that element, it's it, I do that does make sense. Like you can't just like take somebody's thing and make a zillion toys of that person and just like run with it. Like that you can't. You don't once you have. Like for instance, like it makes entirely totally too much sense. Even if it would be good for him, if like Marvel just owned Robert Johnny Jr. Jr's image from here on out, right, uh, because right. he wouldn't be in films
3: like Doolittle. It's really good that we have that law now that we can literally bring people back from the dead. <laughs>
0: yeah, that was yeah, that, that was real. And that's and that's the other thing too that I just is like a kind of, and, and and I honestly don't think this is the reason that I remember this movie a lot. But like Back to the Future pushes the limits of technology, and that's and that's kind of the thing that it's kind of forgotten about is that this shit was hot at the time, and it was it was subtly hot too. It was more the Mad Max... Uh, I like Mad Max CGI is I, I think that's like the kind of one of the more recent one where they use good CGI and that they use subtle CGI in the backdrop to enhance the experience and add on to the experience. And I think this thing is like there's a lot of subtle CGI here that is used and especially makeup effects and other things that makes it particularly awesome. Well, I mean, the uh, most,
1: I the most so famous shot uh, and the most famous you know, effect of the movie is, is, is brilliant, you know, which is a digital car, but with real fire tracks. You know, it's like. A perfect seamless idea, you know, that just conveys so much.
3: And it's part it's, practical, part digital, so you don't notice the digital
1: yeah, kind and, of right. And right. And what kind of is crazy? Or you is don't like, know which part is digital
2: and which part's real.
1: You know, the, the other masterpiece he made is, of course, "Who Framed Roger Rabbit," and it's right, that is right, like, right, mm-hmm. where it, it just drives me crazy. Like, how did this guy become the guy who would do entire mocap movies when he like pioneered exactly how you do? A mix of practical and digital effects like uh, I guess like, the animation effects in that one but like well, it's budget. did it's in budget terms it, of like having a cartoon pick up you know uh, uh, the, the detective and throw him out of the club like they had to put wires on him and like coordinate it and like they would have like if a character touched someone they had to make sure it'd like put an impression on the real person's hand or something like they did so much goddamn work in that movie of like combining those elements so that when the cartoon is on screen it feels like it is in the reality. So uh, back to the future. Yeah. Another
0: Christian. great
2: Christopher Lloyd character. Oh, yes. Rut oh, roof?
0: Who Framed Roger Rabbit, I think, rightly deserves more credit for advancing CGI and everything else. I, I think that that movie is just like that movie. I, 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 I my dad told me when he first saw that movie that it blew his fucking mind. <laughs> like, like he said, he's he's like he still doesn't enjoy that movie, but he's like, I don't know. He's like, I'll watch new CGI, but I'll go back and frame and watch Who Framed Roger Rabbit and just be like every time it like blows my goddamn mind for some reason. And <laughs> he's like, it's yeah, it doesn't even have standards even today for like people that saw it at the time. He was like, like, you had to be there, man. It was like crazy.
2: <laughs> I don't know. That It blew my mind when I was a kid. Yeah, I was yeah. like, how are this, an- there's animation and real people at the same time? I don't get it. And it was it was somehow even more mind-blowing than like that scene in Mary Poppins when they're having tea with the penguins. Because that was really impressive too. But I think in Mary Poppins, and I'm, I'm digressing now, I'm sorry. But like in Mary Poppins, it was real people with an animated backdrop with animated characters. And I could imagine how one could make that happen but in who framed roger rabbit it's animated characters superimposed onto a lifelike background and that is still just mind-boggling to me who has very little knowledge of animation technology it's so Uh, cool
3: yeah the limited context in which i think i understand it is that in mary poppins they're like exposing the film multiple times, whereas right. there's a computer involved in who Roger Rabbit. And that's right. the extent to which I understand it. Yeah. <laughs> that's,
0: <laughs> the, yeah. that's the difference in upgrade because that's, those films are not as far apart as you, think is the thing Mm -hmm. yeah like it's it's uh, in terms of this also technology just didn't advance as fast as it does now like the last 20 years are just oh yeah law is exponential well yeah exactly and also just like just consider fucking anime trevor and sarah like uh, not Mm -hmm. not that i wouldn't consider you ben i'm so sorry uh i apologize no that was dumb uh but it's just like just consider like the anime and the le- like the level of like we have like Knights of Sidonia where we have fully animated shows right now which we hate but we're not gonna talk about that yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I I I still think that like a lot of times the value of this content for a lot of people is like the way that it advanced technology at the time. And I really hate that because I think the value of this is like, even though the script was not set when they were writing it, I think that a lot of the rewrites in this case are perfect rewrites in that they took the time to get the watch functioning perfectly. And famously, like Zemeckis is a student of Spielberg. And it's one of those things where it's like, I know that this is like the controversial thing that people are probably going to be able to shoot me down about but like to some extent I much prefer this to E.T. a lot of the times I feel oh, like I he took too. a lot of the information I'm, oh, I'm not oh I, I you love you really so much
3: Yeah, fan yeah, yeah, I, yeah I, I, E.T. I, I, E.T. creeped me out so much as a kid it was only later that I appreciate it but I'll never get over the I, initial I, like cr- I, totally creeped out I appreciate
0: E.T. very much but I always have just so much more emotionally and perfectly connected to this movie and also just like I think E.T. has way more extraneous plot elements for, this, for the sake of jokes than this movie does. This movie, it's jokes have a point. <laughs> like that's, that's like, there's there's nothing that happens in this movie that doesn't have a point. And that's, even when they're making jokes, like Chuck Berry and all those other things, it just drives home the points. Like, even when this movie just takes its time to have a musical number, it's because it's driving home the point. And he's like, oh, no, 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 And it's, it, it's just, it's, I, yeah, it's just, this movie Reaper has a musical, has a favorite. full musical number. And it's just, mm yeah i don't know it's 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 true it is kind yeah. of too. Yeah. yeah yeah okay we're 51 minutes in and i think that we have to come to the uncomfortable decision of putting scores in this movie <laughs> um I, I i will go first because y'all have probably guessed this um there are two movies that i have relatively given I mean there's actually several movies that I've given a perfect score to at this point because I've actually we've actually done this for four years now uh, so I've actually I've come to things but there are two movies that always stand out in my mind as things that I genuinely love above all else and I think I have a consideration between the two movies and I think one of the things is that grew me as a filmmaker is loving two very disparate movies that I put together as in different ends of the scale is what I like movies and that's the thing is I always call it the Blade Runner to Back to the Future scale which is one is like atmospheric just nonsensical storytelling (laughs) that i enjoy infinitely and i think gets across a wonderful point versus perfectly scripted makes exactly the point and that's the other end of the scale and it's simplistic but also perfect and i think that is like back to the future for me and so i do very much so give back to the future a 10 out of 10 because I genuinely think that like and and, and this is the thing, too, we can argue about different points about what the effect of the movie is. I really think that like one of the things that it is, is that back to the future shoots for a very specific goal and very few movies hit the goal as hard as back to the future does back to the future. Doesn't attempt to be more than it is. And I don't think we should necessarily criticize the movie for that. But I think that at the same time, there is a lot of deep secondary knowledge that comes out of just the construction of a movie like this about Reagan era economics and about the nineties. I mean, I'm sorry about the eighties. You see, I'm already doing it because I'm already extrapolating it to my own time. 80s and the 50s and looking back and it just has a perfect time capsule sensation while also it has all the secondary things that you don't even need to read into and it's the craziness of a movie that's a simplistic it's, it's it's as watchable as fucking demolition man without being dumb and that in and of itself is an insanity to me the fact that i can sit down and watch this and then Get ready to watch it for this show and just be blown the fuck away by the script's complexity is, I think, the insanity of Back to the Future. And also, I think that's the thing. I think to me, the the genius of Back to the Future, it is the single most watchable movie I have ever seen. That's 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 the core thing, too. And it is just a simple expression for me personally of what of like a genuine joy of filmmaking, because you just watch it, you think. the 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 filmmaker's hand in this movie is very heavy and that's the point is but it's it's definitely a film and i think that's why i always bring it up as like one of my favorite films because the hand of the filmmaker is heavy but also it's just like it's one of those things where it's in service of just watching it you can turn off or you can turn on it's both and that's just crazy to me so yeah okay everybody else give your scores Good night.
2: <laughs> <laughs> sorry. sorry. mic <Mike laughs> drop <project>. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: let's go. Let's go with uh, Ben next. All right. So uh, yeah, Back to the Future, pretty good movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't have to tell you that
0: <laughs> everybody's
1: seen it. Um, but it's that's a one that you know if you haven't seen since you were a kid or, or a long time or maybe you just watch a lot on, on cable and bits and pieces. <laughs> I do think it's a it's a good one to revisit, and I think shows its age well. Uh, uh, I think, you know, um, part of my bit about the, the blockbuster stuff is, you know, it was kind of, you know, sort of interesting that like, um, back then, you know, movies like this and the untouchables, which are like, would be hailed as cinematic masterpieces today, perhaps, or at least in like, oh, terms man. of like, uh, just in terms of like, uh, just their ambition and scale. These just aren't movies we make really anymore, which is unfortunate. And, and I think, you know, a good pop song is worth is worth loving you know i think there's just as much skill in making a great pop song and as there is in like a classical music piece in some ways you know there's there's a lot that goes into both uh and 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 um there's a lot of trash pop songs out there there's only a few that stand the test of time and similar to this you know there's a lot of 80s movies we don't remember anymore that were uh, just as blockbuster hungry and pop culture friendly uh but just of were not as well constructed not as memorable not as interesting and i think this does have perfect segments i think you know the like i said the lightning thing is maybe in one of the top 100 top 50 maybe best scenes in any film ever like it is just that good I, and classic yeah and, this, cinema. and, and i understand you i'll shut up it's classic cinema you know in that sense and 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 i feel bad <laughs> i'm only gonna give it a nine only but uh there's just there's just enough don't. stuff that's Please always <laughs> there's always just enough stuff that's bothered me here or there um I, f- I think the end is just a little too convenient I think it loses the plot of the parents now and then um I think there maybe is just too many of those diversions I know that Jack loves that I I don't love as much um but it's it's just so watchable it's just so memorable it's just a lot to like about it um it's 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 hard to deny people's love for it um but uh yeah I don't know I, I don't know what the kind of most perfect can, '80s can I, version of that is because even all the '80s movies have something that I find issued But in terms of like, if you put it up there with like, what are the other ones everyone talks about? Ghostbusters, ET, you know, like one of the other big blockbuster, Beverly Hills Cop. This is probably my favorite, yeah, of those like the big, big '80s pop culture blockbuster hits i think this is this is probably the pinnacle though so yeah i'm still nine but uh i don't know it's 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 valuable interesting and worth watching for sure worth revisiting uh, if you haven't a while
0: i want it's the 35th you, anniversary so get... it's a good time to do it i didn't even mention yeah. that uh yeah. i did i did want to ask you do you think that the the uh spaceman intro
1: is like kind of an aside oh when he need like makes some think when he crashes yeah Balkan. Yeah. Oh, no. When the other guy was <laughs> like, when he crashes and they think he's a spaceman, you mean? Yeah. 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 Eh, a little bit, but I'm sure you're going to add something. What do you mean okay, by an aside? Uh, I,
0: I'm going to end you? on like a really good. Uh, it's I had another little. That, but we're going
1: to come you, back to it. And this is yeah, why, sorry. like, I think also one more thing I want to mention is why I think, I think the reputation for part two is raised a little bit. I know it's still, like, considered mostly inferior, but, like, I think what? a generation oh, of people. Easily. Who have grown up with like extreme easter egg culture you know like we love easter eggs now <laughs> and now that we can yeah. pause movies and get high resolution images like easter eggs are just so much easier to share and appreciate and obviously you have people like edgar wright who just fill their movies with easter eggs and everyone just gets so excited about what we're sharing them all and so like i think the fact that part two is just so in love with part one like it kind of works (laughs) because if you have a generation (laughs) of people who have watched part one over and over and over again you kind of appreciate part two more because it is just literally hey we remixed the first movie and like all these little weird small details that i think probably were lost on people who only saw like the original once or twice in theaters and you know, maybe on VHS now and then versus like people I, who watched it like their entire lives, <laughs> you know, probably I, much more appreciate part I, two now.
0: I will argue against that to some extent that I feel like he has a shitload of Easter eggs in his movie to used cars and other of Robert Zemeckis' first films. Like, there's several Easter eggs in there to, like, like, you know, uh, the, uh, like, for instance, like, uh, American Style is actually like, there's a, there is a actual reference on the movie background to, like, an orgy American Style in 1985 that one of the characters that plays, I think he plays Red and Back to the Future actually like, was it porn actor in that movie? And it's just on the theater that later becomes in church like it's one of those things where it's like this movie I also think is like is also just like I I, I do think it is Easter eggy and then it goes to 11 obviously with a sequel so I'm not disagreeing with you but like at the same time sorry I don't know what the fuck I'm saying what are you I, saying Yeah, I'm... I, I'm gonna shut the fuck up all I'm gonna say is that get used to these bars kid is my favorite line in a movie oh man that is a good one
3: <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm so sorry to st- I'm so
0: sorry to step on your dramatic ending it uh, Ben I'm so sorry there you go
3: all right. Uh, Trevor. Oh, man, I uh, I have so much left to say about this movie and what I like about it. And I'll start with, like, the one thing I didn't say with my whole fucking thing about the gender dynamics change thing, because I I think that is a fascinating part of this movie and, and kind of central to the plot of it is my, my only uh, reservation with, like, the perfection of the screenplay is that George has to save Lorraine a second time from a rando that assaults her on the dance floor who's, like, cackling like a villain again out of a cartoon. And that's, like, the point that's always kind of bothered me, bothered me more this time. It's, like, the only part in the movie where I'm like, eh, that's different. I could have written that differently. Like, that's the only part I have looking at it from a writing point of view where it's like, yeah, Marty has to have the point where he, like, he starts fading from the photograph, but like they could just have like George keep being hesitant to kiss Lorraine, and I think it would be just different better. and like, uh, be- yeah, better, a little more in depth, a little less toxic, maybe too, and and work a little bit better. That's like my one reservation in terms of like how fucking perfect the screenplay is. Um, you know, still probably a more perfect thing than I will ever write, and. Oh man, there's just, I, I love I love the cartoonishness of it. I don't mean that as a criticism. When Doc says that, um, is, is talking about how the DeLorean works and Marty's like, you mean to tell me this sucker is nuclear? And Doc Brown is like, no, it's not nuclear. I just need a nuclear reaction to generate the electricity. It's like, you'd literally define what a nuclear power plant is. That's what nuclear means. And I just don't even care because it's so pulpy and so fun that I just, it's just, it's, it's so great. Um, you know, and it has this high-flying score. Uh, Alan Silvestri, who would go on to... I was just Googling this, um, right for the Avengers movies, that is just, you know, so classic and so adventure and Did he comes in at Avengers all the right movies? moments. Yeah. He, I, he's I, got I a credit understand. on some of them. I don't understand yeah. why Alan... Well, he wrote the main theme, which Endgame actually, and. Winners for Captain America. No, the first
0: one, too. He did the one with like the Iron Man hammer where you can actually hear the actual soundtrack of Iron Man making his helmet. And it's like built into the. Ding. Ding. Ding ding sorry i'm doing a really bad humming of it but like you you know what i'm doing it's the Avengers it. theme. It. yeah 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 the, po- the point is it's one of those things where everybody always like gives shit to the music in those movies and i i do like the main theme though i do think it is secretly recognizable like if you played three bars of the avengers soundtrack i'm like i, I understand that but anyways sorry I'm having a hard time. You not really like are. I'm really actually like feel like a shit. <laughs> well, guys. I brought I up Marvel, so I was asking for it. But uh, fine. it's not. It's not like a specific thing to me. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry to both you and Ben. I'm sorry, but let's see if I could go three for three. Sarah, I do? didn't give my score yet. <laughs> I'm very... Okay, I'm going to have a drink.
3: You guys <laughs> just continue with me. I'm so sorry. It's all right. I think I said everything I wanted to. I've watched this movie so many times. I think it's fascinating. I think you can read into it. I don't think it's perfect, but goddamn, is it good and watchable as hell? And it's so American. It is so quintessential in so many ways. And all the jokes that, like you were saying, like complete with like look at these bars kid or the lone pine mall is my fiance's favorite joke at the end because like he knocked down one of the pine trees i think right in the beginning
0: i, the I love how beginning. megan and i share that joke as yeah. like our favorite joke we're, we're the same kind of base person and as we both I, we both love I, gonna explicitly say <laughs> that
3: it's because like you're like the movie is like complimenting you for like noticing a thing so you feel smart but maybe i, I feel so smart uh, <laughs> i i too have had that moment in movies um I'm gonna give this eight point eight, which will round up to a nine. It's my gimmicky score for the eighty-eight uh, miles per hour. Can game. I can, can
0: I can I just write it down as a nine for easy math? Is are you okay with it? Yeah,
3: it rounds up to a nine. It's fine. I'm do, I'm just I'm doing a bit. It's okay. Fine. I didn't I didn't do it very well. Please move on.
2: Sweet.
0: Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Uh, Sarah.
2: Uh, Well, I say again, I really felt like I was watching this movie for the first time. So I got a different experience than the three of y'all who have, you know, grown up watching this movie and seen it more times than you can count. And it was such a joy to watch. And especially after talking with all of you about all of the little like timeline consistencies or inconsistent consistencies if you will, that follow through, like how little things change based on what Marty does in the past. I didn't notice all of those things that you brought up. I didn't notice the lone pine joke at the end. So for that one thing, and then also lots of other things, I feel this movie has excellent rewatch value because now that I know what's happening, I can look for things that are changed or that he did and say, Oh, so that's why it's this way in the future, this time. Cool. Good. Um, So, yes, I I very much want to watch it again. I'm very excited to watch the sequel. I might do that this evening or tomorrow because that sounds like a wild ride. We
3: we (laughs) might have to talk about the sequel now.
2: Okay. (laughs) Tune in Uh, next week on Movie Game Podcast. I'm just kidding. I don't know. Um, But I give this film an 8.5 out of 10. Score might go up upon a rewatch once I see more of those little Easter eggs, but for we'll call it a first time viewing 8.5. Technically a second time viewing, but I don't remember the first time, so it doesn't count.
0: Ooh, I love it. I love it because we come out to like a 9.125, which I'm going to call a 9. Uh, I will not round up from a 125 to a 10, even though I really want to. <laughs> Clearly, it's a 9. It's fine.
3: Um, you should be pretty happy with the 9.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. I'm not. I, I apologize. if I, I, I probably put a lot of score pressure on you guys sometimes, which is probably like a, not a great thing that I do. Um, especially when I really like a movie, I put a lot. Of, I famously put a lot of pressure on Trevor over Blade Runner, which is the other of my favorite movies. Only of all after time. the fact, I, I, I was actually pretty good during the podcast. But I went away and I got really upset about it.
3: Actually, like we, I was sh- like, we should review uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit because it's another noir, and we can just go through the whole thing again. I, I, I know you're. Do I, I know you're gonna. I, sc- I know you're movie. gonna score Who Framed
0: Roger Rabbit better than Blade Runner, and I've like made peace with that. You know what I mean. (laughs) Like, I've made fucking peace with that. (laughs) Give me like credit. Okay, I have a bit here and I just want to go over it. I do think that the scene ties in, like, the scene where, like, the joke where he comes in and he's a space, and the family thinks he's a space alien is a perfect example of him transitioning back to the 1980s and the 50s where you have this example of the nuclear family, but it also ties back into kind of the ignorance of the nuclear family and just the ignorance at the back of the thing. I I think that's the thing about this movie is, like, I can never tell sometimes when it is fucking genius. I do think that just... I do think that one of the things that I want to say is that whether or not they are always intended to do it, they, they did things with enough purpose that this movie is always open to the reading of certain amounts of genius. And I think that's the thing about it is like, I don't think films are made individually by just the creators to some extent, like the sum of the Harry Potter series is greater than JK Rowling. (laughs) That's just a fact. And I think also it's greater than the sum of, robert zemeckis and the team that made it and i think that's one of the things too is just going back as a as a guy in 2020 who feels old and 30 pining for his the 2000s i guess jesus christ um 2000s i don't know 90s or 2010s uh, i'm not i'm yeah. not pining for the 90s i was like eight years old then and yeah i I'm guess in power rangers 30, yeah
1: you know if you're doing the, the time bad future 30 jump you're yeah 90 yeah
0: that's fair so yeah i guess in like if i was in like in high school it'd be like the 2010s maybe so i don't pine for that i don't pine for high school <laughs> i think most everybody doesn't yeah, <laughs> we've all accepted yeah. that college is way better or like whatever post high school is way better <laughs> um but yeah it's uh yeah it's a. Uh, this this is a movie that just is one of those things that just fills me with a certain amount of joy that I can't rewatch and just not feel like more centered in a person to, to watch it even if it has a weird plot about banging your mom <laughs>
3: man have you seen the John Mulaney bit if you like John Mulaney I do it's, yeah. it's, it's just yeah. him summarizing the plot yeah. of the back to future it's not it's like amazing. a genius or anything it's amazing
0: but. he's like he
3: bangs his mom <laughs> his mom is a sexually aggressive type. also he's better (laughs) Best friends with a disgraced nuclear physicist. And we all just (laughs) accepted that.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's great. And he just builds giant amplifiers, which also have references on the face of them to all the Kubrick movies just randomly yeah it's the it's the CM1 there's
3: the, there's this whole oh my god dude the degree to which you know every like little pixel of this movie is 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 a little overwhelming to me CR- I knew right, I like, knew you would but the,
0: oh my god the amplifier has when he plugs in the amplifier there's a thing on the key that says CRM114 which is a nod to Stanley Kubrick and uh, the CRM114 it's it's also the the CRM114 uh, discriminator is a fictional radio device in Dr. Strangelove it's also the homophom's Serum 114, the experimental drug given to Alex, a Michael McDowell, and a Clockwork Orange. It's the serial number of the Jupiter Explorer in 2001, A Space Odyssey. Wow. I love this movie. (laughs) 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 Sorry. That's
1: a real dumb one, isn't it? Yeah.
2: (laughs) No, it's it's cool. It's just that's... That's that's intense. some deep we, we investigation didn't, didn't you've even, we, done. We didn't there, Jack. even
0: mention Statler Statler Toyota or Statler like uh, Statler Audio, how every version of this town has a Statler like uh, it, and we also don't notice how like doc Brown in the opening sequence has an alarm clock of him hanging literally the image of him hanging off the clock. He made a clock of him hanging off the clock at the end of it. It's in the opening sequence. You can see him like there's a man hanging anyway. from the
3: clock in the office thing. It's just, it's
0: like, I gotta, actually, better. I
3: got I to gotta get in on this. What kind of name is Hill Valley anyway? It's like paradoxical, <laughs> right? It's like, right. it's like time travel. Eh. It's a closed loop. It's My all, favorite it's thing all, is that yeah.
0: there's like the, the big truck that, Marty crashed is actually from Statler Toyota. And actually, if you, in Back to the Future 3, they have Statler horses. <laughs> 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 Which I love. It's, it's back to Back to the Future Three is a crapshoot, but like, man, if it doesn't just keep it does, man, if it doesn't just have fertile enough ground to make a lot of those jokes land, just on the like, just on the strength of the rest of the series, you know, that's that's, that's the only reason Back to the Future Three can get away with like half the shit it does because like the rest of the series is like gold, and they just m- went and made a Western version of the same goddamn town they're going to use in a zillion TV series. Uh. I love how half this movie you can see the shop where, like, the Gilmore Girls are just chilling for 90% of their series in the background, too. <laughs> also, another perfect, according to Dr. Keating, another perfect, uh, Professor Keating, another perfect uh, cinematography series, as Ben will tell you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What, Gilmore Girls? Yeah, it's cinemagraphically perfect. <laughs> to quote
1: him. <laughs> he
0: loves it, he really does. I did a whole paper on it once. Just a curry favor. It was Sparkle. it was good. I watched a lot of Gilmore Girls. Oh
2: God!
0: <laughs> I went to college to I learn film, y'all. but I watched a lot of Gilmore Girls.
1: <laughs> it was instructive. All right.
2: Please don't ever make me watch that. I have multiple friends who own all of the seasons on DVD. I have very easy access to it, but I can't. Please don't make me. You
0: ever want to watch a trippy thing? Katie likes to intersperse episodes, so she'll watch one episode and then another on a binge. So she one time interspersed Gilmore Girls and Pretty Little Liars, so she'd watch one and then the other, and then a Bachelor, and then go in order. And she'd watch like it would be like three, it'd be like three hours, and she'd go she'd watch a Gilmore Girls. Uh, a fucking it. And it was just like Descending levels Of intelligence Like from Gilmore Girls <laughs> To Pretty Little Liars
3: To The Bachelor And, and just like, when you feel Brain dead you, you engage with the most Intellectually rich one again And then you just Start to the, 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 the Slide yeah, it's, scale it, yeah, down again. It's like
0: dropping it down It's like it's, it's almost like Some sort of like Weird orgasmic Media based edging <laughs> It's not okay <laughs> like, that's like, Sorry that's dark But like I, uh, It's not yeah. She does it And I'm like What babe What are you do it you- <laughs> And then I put on a forensic files so and we enjoy murder porn. We have such weird media diets. I, it's not okay. We should probably have an intervention from you guys at some point. We watched a lot of forensic files. Katie has pretty much told me point blank how she would kill me if she needed to. And honestly, her plans seem pretty foolproof. Oh, that's love. I was like, I was like, I don't know how I would get out of that. I think you'd get away with it. I don't like that. So,
1: yeah. Yeah, lawyers and nurses don't fuck with them. They're the ones who know how to kill you, right? Yeah, yeah. succinylcholine is my the way ex, to do it. Liz, uh, who's a vet tech once told me how she would kill me, and it was uh, disturbingly well thought out.
0: Mm hmm. Like, oh, so she's actually your ex. So that's like way worse than Kate. Well, I mean, <laughs> no, actually, Katie still we're might do it. Term, <laughs> we're on good
1: terms. on good terms. It'll be
0: fine. You guys <laughs> both came to my house and stayed here. Like, I, yeah. I, know your guys are on both good terms. Like, I, I was there for that. That was great. Well, someone you're
3: actively in a relationship is definitely more, more dangerous because they, they're still invested <laughs> in you. Agreed. <laughs> I live dangerously. If you catch my—ouch! No, <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> she's a wonderful fiance. I said that on air. You're listening, baby, right? <laughs> okay, cool.
1: All right. Can we wrap this up? Yeah, Mighty. let's go ahead.
0: Thank you for listening to the Movie Gang Podcast. This has been Ben Haworth. Thank you all. Trevor Flynn. Whoa, 200 more.
3: Yeah.
2: Yay! Yeah. Yeah.
0: Sarah Becker.
2: <laughs> Catch you later.
0: And I've been your host, Jack Newman. Again, one last time. Thank you for listening to the Movie Gang Podcast. We It's been a joy to produce this content for you guys. Honestly listening to this is like extending our friendship out to you and we really appreciate that. It's kept our friendships together and it's really been just a joy to be a part of this whole thing this whole time. We've had hardships. We've grown. We've had a lot of people insult us on iTunes. (laughs) So if you could go over to iTunes and post some reviews, we'd really love it! Yeah, go over and tell that idiot why my keyboard clacking is lovable and not terrible. I am going to work on that in previous episodes. So if you're actually listening, John2465 worked on it. Anyways, he's actually called something else i'm not gonna call it out on air anyways from everyone here at the movie gang podcast one last time thank you for listening and here's to 200 more episodes and just a future of having friends to watch good movies with and bad because we watch a lot of bad movies <laughs>
2: <laughs> for that's that. the power of love